You're listening to the B&H Photography Podcast. For over 40 years, B&H has been the professional source for photography, video, audio, and more. For your favorite gear, news, and reviews, visit us at bnh.com or download the BH app to your iPhone or Android device. Now here's your host, Alan Whites. Greetings and welcome to the B&H Photography Podcast. Today we have a little smorgasbord of an episode culled from conversations we recorded at Optic 2018. We're going to be speaking with photographers Seth Resnick, Vincent Versace, Brian Smith, and Simon Lewis. And we also have a short chat with Panasonic Lumix marketing manager Darren Peple about the GH series of cameras. And stay tuned because at the end of the show... We are going to be giving you more information about the B&H Photography Podcast Fujifilm X-H1 Sweepstakes. Stay tuned. At this year's Optic Conference, hosted by B&H, we had the opportunity to speak with so many incredible photographers. And while we dug into some serious issues, we also like to ask questions that might elicit funny and or insightful stories. In this case, we wanted to hear about situations in which the photographer was facing a potential fail. The subject or the weather wasn't cooperating, the equipment broke, or some combination of disasters, and how they ultimately pulled the rabbit out of the hat and got the picture. First, we're going to be speaking with Brian Smith. Brian is a Pulitzer Prize-winning photographer with an editorial and advertising catalog full of Hollywood A-listers and Fortune 500ers. (laughs) He's a Sony artisan of imagery, a pro photo legend of light, and an Adobe influencer, and X-Rite master Colorati. You have been in a lot of different situations, some of them really high pressure because you deal with high-end clients and high-end people, where people don't have the time to sit there long. You have to They'll in and out. You got to set everything up and they literally walk through the set. You got to grab a picture sometimes. What is the biggest rabbit you ever pulled out of a hat? And when I say that, I'm saying you're there, you're on the job, you have a sliver of time to get it done. You've got all kinds of parameters and something happened that was not anticipated, either equipment or environment or something. You said, oh my God, I got a problem here. And you managed to pull it off. Anything come to mind? Well, I'll take that from the very start. One of one of the things that's really important is, yeah, when you have limited time and a number of the people that I photograph, I'm I may have if I have an hour with somebody, it's that's like larger. hallelujah. Yeah, it's like, that's a lot. You know, we're it's like let's just take a breath because we have so much time to work. More often, it's half an hour, fifteen minutes, sometimes five minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, some of the people that I photograph for CEOs, where that I've have literally been told. You'll have three minutes. So you just make sure everything yeah, is all been set. Been done that one, yeah. You know, you've got, you've scouted in advance. You know what you want to do. Um, Tested like yeah. crazy. And it helps when you've done enough of these to realize like, you know, okay, so we're not going to do the definitive portrait in three minutes, but we're going to do the best portrait that could be taken in these three minutes. So um, you get things together. And sometimes when people are at ease, it's amazing how often that three minutes becomes five minutes or 10 minutes. Um, on the other hand, like if you're wasting somebody's time, a 30 minute photo shoot can easily be cut short in 15 minutes if they feel like you're, you know, not prepared. So you want everything together. And even, even though I'm doing lighting, it's like all that stuff is in the back of my mind. I'm really not thinking about it. I may, I may push a light stand a little ways once the subject gets in position, because if we pre-lit, 
with an assistant or something, it may not look exactly mm-hmm. like it does with the subject, but really small tweaks, like the sort of things it's like I'll reach out and grab a light stand with most of the time not even thinking about it, just to reposition something slightly. So you get everything ready. So everything is is set and ready to go. Um, that said, there are still the times that, you know, somebody's expectation was that well, you're going to do a few shots and I'm out of here. And I guess the one that does come to mind is um, about five years ago, I was working on a project um, called Art and Soul. It was a book to support arts education where we photographed um, – I, I actually photographed 250 celebrities. We had room for 123 I in the final book. I think that's where we first crossed yeah. paths. You had just yep. finished that yeah. project. Yes. Yeah. Okay. And so as the course of this project, and you know, the great thing is like as you photograph some people, you can show the next subjects what you've done mm-hmm. and give them an idea, you know, so they have a, a sense of, oh, okay, I, I see what he's doing. I, you know, either I like it or I don't, but like if they like it, then they're cooperative. And... Um, one of the very first people that I photographed in the first three days was um, David Hyde Pierce. And David was just amazing. He's got this face that looks like a, you know, a bust in a museum that it's like you walk around and from all directions, yeah. <laughs> it's just this great head. He doesn't have to do anything. He just has this great look. And um, about six months later, a friend of mine um, was doing an a interview f- uh, for the Broadway channel and ask if I would be, you know, they had Kelsey Grammer lined up. And he's like, would Kelsey be good for your book? And I said, oh, absolutely. <laughs> and, you know, in a heartbeat. So he, there, there was no ask in advance. They didn't want to, they didn't want to jinx their interview. And he warned me, it's like, I can't ask you in advance, but he seems like a nice guy. I think he'll do it. So I had my wife with me. She was doing the the grooming for the the project. So she got Kelsey ready. He did he did his Broadway Channel interview, and then when he was done, my buddy Matt said, um, I want you to meet a friend of mine. He's working on a, a project that you'll be interested in. At this point, I could show him on my iPad. I'm flipping through some of the images, and of course, you stack the deck. So the third celebrity comes to is David mm-hmm. Pierce, and he's yeah. oh, David, yeah, yeah, okay, all right, I'll, I'll do your thing. And, <laughs> um, he was super cooperative, very happy to do it, stood in there shot nine pictures and he goes, well, I think you've got it and started to walk away. And, you know, I mean, I really didn't. I had nine pictures that kind of looked like Kelsey Grammer on a, maybe on a red carpet, but I didn't have a photograph. Gotcha. So now I can, I can be nice and go, well, thank you very much for your time. Um, but you know, I can be the nice guy who doesn't get the picture or I can become the jerk photographer who finds a way to make it happen. And um, in this instance, I, like, I just could not, I couldn't have Kelsey Grammer in place and not come away with a decent photograph. So I don't know where this came from, but before he could take a step, I said, you know, yes, I suppose we do have an image, but to be honest, David Hyde Pierce was much better. <gasps> And right at that moment, he sort of sheepishly stepped back into place, dropped his shoulders, and looked like he's just been shamed into submission. And it was by far, like, one of my favorite pictures from the whole project of just using, you know, using peer pressure as a a weapon for good. um, Because it was like, that was, that may not have been the right thing to take 
that approach with <laughs> anyone else on this planet. But I just had a sense with Kelsey, that was the way to go. And um, sure enough, it was. So part of part of what you learn when you're going out and photographing people on the street is just learning to read people really quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, now with Kelsey, we've got a body of work. We know something about him. We know, you know, because of who he is, kind of know you can take the kid gloves off and have some fun with him. Yeah, he's so, been knocked down before. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I, I, I had a sense of that, but it's sort of that reading, you know, what is the right way to do it? And it certainly wasn't, oh, please, Mr. Grammer, if you could do a few more pictures, I like that. It's like you kind of had to take the radical approach and it worked. And you took you took control because if you did come up, then we could we try to do more. He's still running the show, and, and the attitude could show. But in the meantime, you you reversed it. You yeah. Brian, if people want to catch up on what your well work and see what you've been doing, where should they go to look at your photographs? Uh, my website's briansmith.com. I post most of the latest news on my blog mm-hmm. um, on the website, and then um, on social media, um, uh, Brian Smith Pictures on Facebook and Brian Smith Photo on Twitter and Instagram. It's great stuff to look at. Okay, Simon Lewis is an Australian-born lifestyle destination food and interior photographer based in Brooklyn, New York. A graduate of the School of Visual Arts here in New York City, his clients include the Amman Resorts, Amazon Jet Blue, Ralph Lauren, Bon Appetit, Prada, and John Vavados. Here's Simon. Um, you travel around a lot. You get some pretty big assignments, and you have some pretty big responsibilities. And I've been asking this to a few photographers. Uh, what would be the biggest rapid you've pulled out of a hat? In other <laughs> words, things are, you've got everything is set and planned, everything else, yep. and then something happens. You go, uh-oh, gear, environment, subject, something, and you know, I have to come out of here with a good photograph. It happens all the time. Still happen. I mean, it happens all the time. The, the only reason Maybe I, I should rephrase it. Does it ever not happen to you? No. <laughs> no. The, the only reason I know anything is because of all those mistakes that I made Ooh, along the way. Yeah, okay. 100%. 100%. Because you do, you do something wrong one time. Mm-hmm. And you learn from that, right? Or you're prepared. So in case anything like that happens again, you've got a backup. But things happen all the time. I was shooting for the Amman Resort in Dominican Republic. Mm-hmm. We had scouted the place. There was a beautiful vista from up. We had to put a ladder up on top of the roof, um, stand on top of the roof. It was multi-leveled. Uh, and there was a view over the resort, across the bay, the ocean, trees wrapping around. And that's where the, that's where the sun was coming up. Beautiful. All set up ready to go, got up early, um, had my assistant, myself, and camera on the tripod. We get up on the roof, and as we're, as we're getting ready, um, a tropical storm <laughs> comes, out of, comes out of nowhere. It is, it is raining horizontally, right? And we're trying to navigate on this thing. You know, I slip and fall, I bust my ankle, I had to get my assistant to carry me like a Sherpa up Everest across this wall, Plonked down on the edge of the of the roof, had a plastic bag over my. Luckily, I was prepared with that. Had a plastic bag over the over the camera and the tripod. Sure enough, the storm passed. The most beautiful sunrise you have ever seen. I mean, the most beautiful sunrise. Got the shot and went to hospital. We got my ankle wrapped up. <laughs> I, it was, and they were like, "Get off the roof!" I'm like, "No, you don't." I'm this photo is happening. We are getting that, and it ended up being one of the main icon shots um, for that project. You know, if I was like, oh, well, 
my ankle's three times the size. I should probably just like get down. We wouldn't have got the shot. You know, amputate. I need the picture. Just, I don't care. Just amputate. No, I was like, I don't care what you do. Wrap up whatever. Just I need this photo. Right. So we sat there through this tropical storm. Got the it cleared. Clear the the colors in the sky were amazing. We got the shot. Well, you know, I have no control over that. No, but I can choose whether to stick through it. Good points. You know, good point. Sometimes a little bit of tenacity you need to to get the shot. Simon, if people would like to see more of your work, where can they go to see it? You can follow me on Instagram at, at Simon Lewis Photo, L-E-W-I-S Photo, or uh, www.simonlewisphoto.com. Sounds like a plan. And you will be in for some visual treats, I can guarantee you. <laughs> Starting as a newspaper photographer in Syracuse and New York City, Seth Resnick is considered a photographer's photographer with work spanning the fine art, editorial, stock, and commercial worlds. He has had his work published in over 2,500 publications and is one of 50 master photographers worldwide, first named as a Canon Explorer of Light. He's a member of the prestigious X-Rite Colorado program and the Ilford Masters program. He's also the co-founder of D65, a digital workflow educational and consulting organization. Here's Seth. You go to a lot of places that are far from every resource around there. In other words, you have to have what you need with you. Yes. And, and that's the limitations of what you, you got right there. And, and okay. weight limits. And it, all that stuff. What was the biggest rabbit you ever pulled out of a hat where you got someplace and you say, this is impossible and I have to make this work? What would you say was one, not that you took the greatest picture, but you said, I walked away and I pulled a shot out of this and this was impossible. Um, one was a, uh, a physical issue and I was in Antarctica and I'm in a Zodiac and you have the cameras around your neck. And as I look down, I have my Nikon D5, I, I always forget the names because they all, D5, I think it's a D5. Yeah. Yeah. And I look down, the camera's hanging around my neck, and where's the camera? The camera's in the water. The <laughs> the and it's like, there's no, you know, there's no Nikon, no NPS down there. <laughs> so I looked at it, and it's like, huh, big challenge. So I went back to the room, figured salt water's death, but like, the first thing you do is stick it you in fresh water. You put it right in the sink. Mm -hmm. um, went to their, their kitchen and got some rice, put it in a bag, kept my fingers crossed. And that afternoon, the camera came back start, and was working. And um, yeah, so you talk, I mean, because you look at you, you can't believe how stupid you are. That, you know, there I am. It's like, oh, wow. <laughs> and, you know, that's your camera. I mean, Mm -hmm. You just made a lot of photographers out there feel good about now, themselves. Now, I would not recommend taking <laughs> Nikons or cans or anything and, and putting them in the water. That's But, you know, you stuff, you, happens. You, stuff happens. You're in the field and... There you go. But you, um, made, but you made it work. And but I made it work. And, yeah. Um, yeah, ended up with a really nice image outfit. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Okay. Good. Seth Resnick, thank you so much for joining thank us you guys. Today. This was a ton of fun. And um, Is there anything else you want to like toss to our listeners? Oh, yeah. the, What's coming the up? Anything uh, good? Websites, um, workshops coming up? Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, if you're interested in our workshops, um, I teach a, a Lightroom workshop, which is under the name of D65. And we do our travel workshops and they're workshops, not photo tours. Um, and that's digital photo destinations. And you can find everything <laughs> at SethResnick.com. And um, thank you very much. This is okay, a lot of Seth, fun. Okay, Seth, pleasure talking with you. Thank, thank you. you Seth. Thank you. Appreciate it.
Vincent Versace is one of Nikon's 16 founding Nikon ambassadors and is a recipient of the Computer World Smithsonian Award in Media Arts and Entertainment, as well as the Schellenberg Fine Art Award. His list of photography awards and publications is long, and he's authored from Oz to Kansas, almost every black and white technique known to mankind. And welcome to Oz 2.0, a cinematic approach to digital still photography with Photoshop. He's based in Los Angeles, and he divides his time between commercial and fine art photography assignments. Here's Vincent. There's uh, the word amateur. Mm-hmm. Uh, is Latin amatore means to love. do for the love of. Sure. And ah. when I was a kid, I had this book called Daphinations. And like a daphination is bacteria, rear of a cafeteria. Uh. <laughs> Big a mist, a large Italian fog. <laughs> right. So <laughs> when my father passed away, I found the book. And it was a library book. I'm sure there's a definition for stolen library book right. in there. Right? There's, there's a statute of limitations. But my, and so I'm looking through this, and you know, and my favorite definition was the definition or definition of expert. X, the grammatical term for has been. Spurt, a drip under pressure. Okay, so you have expert or amateur. Of these two, what would I rather be? I want to be an amateur. I want to be in a state of amateur. I want to do it for the love of it. Because think about all of the the experts you know. There has been drips under pressure pontificating about something. And it's like, there's there, like I look at the, I separate the world into like us and from us. You can learn how to shoot like a pro, or you can learn how to shoot from, from a pro. <laughs> okay? And I'd rather, I'd rather be in the from a and not like a category. So I really work very hard to be a working professional because one of the things, I went to ACT, the American Conservatory Theater, and they have this concept called share the refulgence, which is working actors teach actors how to work. Okay? So all of the instructors that we got were people that were in the field. And so we got a lot of stu- cool stuff about how to do things. And... I want to share the refulgence. I lead such a blessed life. I, it's truly not lost on me. The great gig I have and the places I get to go because the camera allows me to do that. Okay, well, all of these lessons and discoveries and things that I have the opportunity to do because the course of my human events allows me to do this, how do I make people who I come in contact with their life easier? So you know, six, seven times a year I like to teach classes because I think it's important to share the refulgence. And one of the things that I love about teaching a class is when you start making a living as a photographer, you don't necessarily pull out of your entire tool set because you you use the things that work. Right. But when I teach a class, I get asked questions. Oh, I haven't thought of that in years. And that leads to, wow, that's really cool. Let's solve this problem. Then let's and then that winds up inhabiting my work. Like I shoot landscapes and I shoot people. And the reason why I always make it a point to do both is I believe you should shoot your portraits like landscapes and your landscapes like portraits. That they have to cross-pollinate. That you can't just be this one thing because you get into a groove, the groove becomes a rut, the rut becomes a hole, the hole becomes a grave, and then you're wondering why nobody hires you and you're bitter. And <laughs> I, I don't want to be that. I, I want to be an 18-year-old spirit looking for the zipper in the old guy fat man suit, you know, going, I know, I know I'm in here someplace. What's uh, what's coming up? What do you want to plug? I know you have three book projects in the works in different stages, I'm sure. But, well, the, uh, the book concept project quickly is called um, Turning the Last Page, colon. And so it's Cuba turning the last page of 1962. 
um, Burma turning the last page of the 19th century and India's turning the last page of the British Raj. And the goal of those three projects that I'm working on is one is to build a school in Burma because there's a place in Burma where there, there is no school and the kids are illiterate and it's like, uh-uh. And then feeding hungry kids in India. If I can do that, yeah. And then putting cameras in the hands of photographers in Cuba that would never see the technology that I take for granted. And the project basically is to capture the echo of the countries as they're emerging into the 21st century and to preserve the innocence of what is the essence of these people. Um, it's based on the thought that the pen is mightier than the sword. Really? Camera's mightier than the pen. Watch what I can do. And I want to do good with those pictures. And even though I may own the rights to them, I don't think I have the moral right to possess them. And this needs to be preserved and we need to look at it. And we need to have that so that what we have is a mirror to say, this is a quality we should keep alive, not necessarily the directions that we tend to go. And that's what I want to do with the pictures. And I'm happy to not make a dime off them. I'm happy to literally put all the money out for And it. is the idea, or I don't know how how long, uh, how far along you are in the process, but the the sales of the books goes, will, goes toward these funds? That's mm -hmm. the idea? Okay. Is that it's like yeah. here you go set it up do all the work and of course it's in the category of no good deed goes unpunished <laughs> um but i mean the cuba book is at 330 images the burma book is about that and then the india book is the one that's the weakest because india is the i believe it or not of those three countries the two that are the most hardest supposedly hardest to get into or the easiest to get into and india is the hardest one to get back to interesting it just, mm. it just, but the books are—they're not for sale yet. They're not. No, I'm yeah, yeah, shooting still, them. It's, yeah. it's this again. Get the same way I came up with doing the emotional stuff is a series of conversations with people that all of a sudden it's like, this is what we're going to do, and I'm right at the point now where two of them could go image-wise and would have enough, and now it's looking for a publisher and starting to do the book layout and stuff. But that's really what the goal is of the project. Vincent Versace, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. It was a blast. After a short break, we're going to be returning with Darren Pepley of Panasonic Lumix to talk about their GH series of cameras. Stay tuned. We hope you're enjoying this edition of the B&H Photography Podcast. Send us a tweet at bhphotovideo, hashtag bhphotopodcast. Being joined by Darren Pepley of Panasonic, and we're going to be talking a little bit about the Lumix technologies. Now, you guys recently had some uh, uh, software or firmware updates for your cameras. Um, give us a little bit of background on that. Like, you know, you you obviously come up with a camera system, and you put everything you have into it, and then ultimately upgrades have to happen and updates and things of that sort. How do you find out about it? Or do you canvas your users? Is this feedback you're getting without even asking for it, and, and how do you go about processing the all of this? Uh, it's a pretty interesting process, actually. We do a lot of listening, social listening especially. Okay. Um, whenever we make a post, um, I'll be honest with you, the first couple responses to any of our social posts are, when is this coming out? When can you make this change? Uh, it's the whole list from, <laughs> from the fans. And we listen to our service department calls. Um, we get a lot of... Um, people calling in for either repair-related items or, or functionality usage. 
Um, and, and then we also spend a lot of time at events like this where we're listening to professional photographers, mm-hmm. uh, enthusiasts. We're really interested in what the pros want. Um, that has been, well, since the days of the GH3, we really developed the GH3 uh, after we found that a lot of people were hacking the GH2. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and we did it, believe it or not, engineers did everything they could to stop that. And uh, when we found out that the sales would just die every time we would uh, update the firmware uh, in the factory so the new camera would ship out to prevent hacking, sales would drop. So we looked very closely at this and said, well, there's, there's something here we don't understand or, or the market's telling us something. What is it? And what, they, what we found out was the market wanted to be constantly in change and updating and changing and kind of wanted to basically use our hardware, which was at the time uh, different because of the mirrorless technology that mm-hmm. we designed. And, and uh, we just said, okay, let's, let's, let's canvas the country for a little while. We invited cinematographers and photographers into the same room. You can imagine the conversation that, mm-hmm. that ensued, right? And, and they were basically at opposite ends of the table, sort of arguing over features, speaking a different language each, but saying the same thing. And so we very quickly learned that um, we could build something that they wanted to please both sides of the table. And uh, it was out of that kind of initial development of the GH3 where we've kind of come of age as a brand. And so we do a lot of listening to um, to our fan base, either, like I say, social service or or um, we just we, we, we follow a lot of um, blogs. <laughs> and the fans are telling us what they want. And it was a it was a bit of a cultural change for us to say, okay, you know, it's basically a computer with a lens on it. What can we do to that? And shouldn't we just update instead of inventing a whole new camera? I would imagine that the hackers, in a sense, are a uh, uh, a no cost freelance R and D department, in a sense, because if 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 you're really paying attention to what people are hacking your gear to do, that's a good indication where you have to be, and they're kind of doing the groundwork for you. Go, okay, here's what they did. How could we smooth this out and polish it? That's exactly it, and and really, like I say, it became a kind of a cultural change. You can imagine, as a Japanese company, we're very buttoned up. Uh, we have a very def- definite direction we want to move, and so to open up R and D to to the fans was was not an easy task internally. Mm-hmm. I t- I'll tell you, I was on the end of that selling that in in the early days, and and it was not easy. And now it's kind of taken for granted. Everybody does it, right? Uh, so I think uh, we were blazing a new trail at the time. Uh, we didn't really realize it at the time, but we were starting to kind of tap into something unique and and, and special. And so ever since then, we have kind of evolved as a brand that really, it really listens. We try to be as responsive as we possibly can. Uh, and I don't think you've seen a camera of ours hacked in a long time, which kind of, <laughs> kind of indicates that we're ahead of the curve and we're listening to the fans and, and they're willing to kind of wait for the next firmware update for their camera. Now, we, we don't go probably more than three firmware updates per per model because by that time it we start hitting the wall of what the technology was designed to and we add a little bit of our own flavor we got something up our sleeve and that's when a new camera will come out and then we'll stop usually firmware updating cameras at that point unless it's a bug fix mm-hmm. we will sometimes uh launch a firmware update and then another bug will pop up you know it's a very complex thing and we try as hard as we can to try and update 
if possible, that bug fix as, as fast as possible. You guys have any um, data on who actually does firmware updates and how many people, how many buyers of a, a GH four, uh, what, what, whatever you know, GH, you know, whatever model came out and really takes the time and the energy to to go through that process? I, I would suggest that it's not a super high am, amount. Mm-hmm. Um, generally, what'll happen is. Somebody will call the service department and say, "I'm having a problem with a, a you know adjusting a feature. It's not working right." It's kind of at that point they they learn about it. Um, we of course you know um, all the social platforms and the, and the blogs and the magazines sort of follow what when we we do something. So it usually does get to the market pretty fast. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say even faster than we can actually put it into our own website sometimes. Uh, so it 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 is not a real hard number for me to kind of. Nail into no, um, but it it uh, it is to the to the fan base that really is generating you know, our sales and and helping us uh, grow the brand. It is really meaningful to them that we yeah. do that. And it's funny because and and this gets back to what we were talking about a little bit earlier. It seems like especially with the mirrorless cameras, the the different brands have taken on different personalities, or at least the the users. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. and I associate the Panasonics, you know, with. The hacking doesn't surprise me at all, you yeah. know, because you came up, there's a lot of the skateboarders, you know, and yeah. the surfers and some of the X type people. Is that something you, you were forced to embrace or you, you were happy to embrace because it uh, it made the mark for that camera? Yeah, huh? you know, if you look at the industry, you, know, you have the, the traditional DSLR brands and even to some extent Fujifilm for that matter or, or Olympus. And they have a following for, for many, many, many years. Mm-hmm. You look at Lumix, and we've been around for 15 years now. Right. But only 10 years of that has been with the mirrorless technology. Yeah. So we, we, you know, we helped create that consortium with Olympus, and we launched it, and and we created a whole new type of camera because we just basically went to our roots. And our roots was not a camera company. Our roots is a technology company. And so when we built the first Lumix um, mirrorless cameras. It was really we we were quite proud of it. I mean, it was it didn't have a mirror box. It had a a, a lens because of the mirror box. You could shorten the distance between the uh, everything the, comes the down flange, to size right? and weight. Yeah, it just it just <laughs> shrinks, and um, you could do video without a mirror lockup, and you could do all these interesting things. You could run uh, what you see is what you get right to the viewfinder. So no optical viewfinder. So for the traditionalists in the room, this was like heresy. <laughs> it was like, why did you why did you remove the optical viewfinder? Mm-hmm. Who wants to shoot video anyway? Uh, all these things were kind of like struck us as a, a bit odd, really, because we were looking and going, well, isn't this cool? This is great, right? right. And, and the market was, wasn't ready for it, frankly. Uh, and uh, so it, it took us a while to find our feet. Uh, and like I say, once we kind of we, we stumbled upon the ability to just, I guess, accept who we who we are as a company. We we tried so hard to be a camera company, right? Sometimes but you the, have to just let go and relax. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That was it. That, that, that really was it. Yeah. 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 yeah, just let go. Hey, we are really good at video. Why don't we create a camera that's just the best damn camera that uh, you know interchangeable lens camera that can shoot video. On the planet. So that was gonna, that was going to be my next question because essentially you you came out your 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 goal was to come out with a good still camera right. that shot video, but if anything your reputation is among video shooters predominantly. Mm-hmm. Yes. Is headquarters is having trouble wrapping their head around you know what they are um, as opposed to what they think they are or want to be? Yeah, I think sometimes. Uh, you know, um, Europe is is more 
Um, and I speak to my European counterparts. They're, they're so much more into the photo side of it. The United States was the one that really kind of accepted the, the, um, what we thought we were and, and pushed for it. We, we actually, um, a friend of mine, Tom Curley, he, he works at a company now at mm-hmm. the time, and, and I said, hey, we have, we have to invent a new market. We have to invent products that um, you can do with these cameras. Uh, or the market won't won't understand why mm-hmm. why it exists, right? So we worked with a lot of uh, photo consortiums, and and we created this concept of hybrid photography. And we worked with a lot of people, and the reason we used chose hybrid was because it was a blend of video and still. And we thought, well, if the market could accept this hybrid idea of hybrid photography, and, and there are much brighter bra- brains out there that can come up with what products go with that, such as you know, uh, moving pictures for your cell phone. Um, better video that you can sell to like uh, in a studio environment while you've got the client there, family photos going on. Why don't you take a little bit of video of what happened in their life that week or that year, who died, who was born. And it was this, uh, it was that moment that we felt we had something. And I walked into a trade show one day, like about a year or two later, about two years later actually, and I saw somebody on one of the major camera brands stand up on stage. I want to show you my hybrid photography portfolio. <laughs> and I burst out laughing. I'm like, oh, my God, we did it. And we, we actually we did something. They don't even realize it. And, and so um, we just embraced this idea of, of, of a joint uh, hybrid world. And, and the idea from the domain, from what we call headquarters, is that um, we are changing the culture of photography. A new culture is being born. And out of that, the Europeans came up with changing photography as a, as a, as a way of marketing the idea. In the United States, we, we, had, we adopted that. And, and this culture of change within photography, a, a new culture, was really kind of where we landed off on. Mm-hmm. The downside of that is we, the traditionalists don't want to change photography. Mm. They, they don't, mm-hmm. It wasn't change that they were interested in. It was a better <laughs> camera. And um, so... Uh, the traditionalists stuck with their traditional DSLRs, and I think what you said, like you said earlier, it was these younger, more I don't know, new, new forward-thinking um, photographers, videographers, mm-hmm, hybrid shooters, mm-hmm. whatever, whatever they're going to be called now, um, that really just embraced our brand, and you know, and they held us to the fire when there was something wrong, and and they told us what they wanted, and we thought, well, how are we going to meet this very um, the demands of this market. Mm-hmm. And we said, well, in engineering wise, we needed to really kind of pull in more, more and more horsepower from other parts of the company that weren't in the R and D department uh, for Lumix at the time. And, and we did that. And they just went to town. Mm-hmm. They were when 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 I specced uh, threw in my specifications for GH4 um, and they came back with the prototype, I was absolutely floored. Mm. Absolutely floored. I'm like, you were able to do this. I, I, I was really hoping for a couple other things, but you put in some things that I hadn't even thought of before, and it really came from that listening. They were all over the world listening to each country's um, input, mm. and it really came down to what was being said in blogs, and, and it wasn't as much social media at the time. And uh, we put all that into a box. Believe it or not, GH4 wasn't everything we wanted it to be. There was more we wanted in it. And that's where the five came out. And when the five came out, I think everybody just stepped back and said, "Wow, that's that that's really cool." Um, never thought of that. You know, four K you know video in, in a camera. The idea that um, suddenly 
people in Hollywood were knocking on our door going, well, we really need a couple of these. Could you send them to test? Yeah. Uh, there was a friend of mine who was shooting uh, – for one of the big um, TV shows, and he was secretly shooting with it because it was doing better than his, uh, you know, fifty thousand dollars cameras. And he was doing a lot of run and gun, yeah, yeah. and he was doing some hot box shooting in, in Miami. And the, you know, the the cameras were burning up, waiting for them in the Miami heat. And our camera was designed to handle that kind of heat. It was designed to handle video heat, and so it, it, they survived longer. And it just all of a sudden these things start flooding in. And um, the photographers uh, loved it because you know it was a lighter weight platform. They could do their hybrid work. Their traditionalists, again, they were like, well, yeah, but it's got a micro four-thirds sensor, right. and, and it's got to be full frame. And, and we're like, <laughs> you miss the point of what it can do. Uh, a lighter uh, lens system, yeah, the GH5 is bigger than maybe we'd want it to be, but that was designed for, for heat, heat, uh, heat dissipation. But the lenses are still super, super small and super lightweight. And our, our Leica DG lenses are rock solid in terms of just... Uh, Sharpness. There, a lot of people get blown away. I want to jump. Well, we'll talk about the firmware updates that that you have on on hand now. But one thing I wanted to ask about was the point and shoot area because obviously Lumix point and shoot cameras were kind of the forefront of the the real compact, high quality image point and shoot cameras. And now with that whole market dissolving Mm -hmm. to some degree, what did you guys decide to do? And and how did you limit uh, what you were going to put out and still make a profit off it? We did basically the same thing that most of the companies did, and we went upstream. Yeah. So Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. we kind of backed out of the the entry-level market. Um, The LX line for us has always been sort of a cult classic. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, That's a lovely camera. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I've shot with several of them. It really is a beautiful little camera. Mm -hmm. It is. And, And that's another one. You know, whenever we made... Uh, a change to the LX, you know, again, you know, they would hold our feet to the fire mm-hmm. on it. You know, like, oh, you know, wanted a little more here, you know, edge detail, all these kinds of things. Those are, are aren't really our point and shoots aren't really designed to do the big firmware updates that that our that our G series mm-hmm. cameras do. Um, so f- for those cameras, uh, we get a lot of fans that are, and those cameras can last, you know, two years, sometimes even push three. And so the fans are like, when's, when, when you're coming out with the next LX or you know, the ZS, you know, and, and, uh, so it's a, a little more frustrating for those fans. Um, but well, those cameras last, I have a friend who's still shooting yeah. one from yeah, way yeah, back when. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Anyway. I've, I've seen some that, you know, the show, like they show up to shows and they bring their LX right. and they'll hand it over to me and show it to me. And, <laughs> I'm like, wow, what did you do to this thing? I said, yeah, well, I'm waiting for you to introduce a new one. You know, like, <laughs> I have a question about, we're talking about the, uh, the, the LX series. It's no big secret that uh, Panasonic is partners with Leica for a lot of the point and shoots. If you buy a lot of the point and shoot cameras from Leica, it's a rebadged Panasonic with other changes. Mm-hmm. Okay, How much influence does Leica actually have? Aside from the, I know physically the, the, the shell is different. It's got a different outside, the, the, the skin. But internally, it's quite similar. How much influence do they have when you're coming up with the yeah. next camera and they're going to partner? Well, for, for us, our relationship with Leica is really an optical one. Okay. So when, when they build their, their cameras, um, now it's, it's got their special sauce in it. Um, but our cameras, um, for us, we have a, a factory in Yamagata, Japan. Mm-hmm. And uh, a lot of people all see it on, on social media all the time. Oh, it's just, it's, it's just got their name on it. You know, no, so it's, just, it's more, it is more yeah, than that. Yeah, it really is. Um, I wish I could take everybody to that factory. It's an, <laughs> an amazing factory. But uh, the optics that are produced there are, are 
sort of watched over by the Leica organization. They come in and make sure all the hardware is calibrated correctly, that the production is being done correctly. And to be able to do that under their watchful eye uh, takes a lot. Uh, and yes, they are made in Japan. Uh, those lenses, I can, I've can, i seen them coming off the assembly line, and, and it's an amazing process. Well, you know, keep in mind that uh, um, a majority of Zeiss optics are made by Cosina. Yeah. And they are magnificent lenses. And everyone says, oh, it's not from Germany. It doesn't matter. Yeah. Okay, it really doesn't matter because it's being supervised. It's under a lot of, this stuff is good. There are things that we've requested, uh, you know, when we, we take a look at, you know, the future lenses that we're building. And we'll say, we, we'd like to have a Leica lens that does X, Y, Z, right? And the factory will come back, okay, we'll, we'll, we'll look. And say, no, no, that, that one won't fly. Uh, there's certain things that Leica is willing to do to their glass. And this is not one of them. Uh, so... When we produce a Leica lens, there's a lot of oversight that goes into that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Cool. So, updates, firmware? What's new? What do you want to talk, tell us about? <laughs> I mean, you are... Uh, the secret sauce. The, well, no, but what... what I, mean, I mean, obviously, part of the reason that you're here is to tell us what uh, what's latest from you well, guys and what, what you want to push. One thing um, that I, I'd, I'd like to clear up for, for all the fans is that um, when we launched the 9... Um, there was less video technology in the 9, and that was purposeful. Mm -hmm. um, and when we launched the 5S, there was a lot less photo technology in that one, and that was purposeful. What we are doing, uh, when we produced the GH5, we really kind of like, I mean, we topped out. I mean, that, that was one hell of a camera. And so the listening told us that um, the cinematographers are now sort of demanding very interesting features that would compromise the photo quality. And same thing on the photo side would compromise, compromise the video quality. So we built 5S and we built 9, 9 for photographers and 5S for cinematographers, straight up. Now there are some low light uh, photographers that like, uh, and studio photographers that enjoy the 5S mm -hmm. because it's just really good low light capability, really clean. Uh, whereas you know it doesn't have uh, ibis, it doesn't have any in-body stabilization, and that's purposeful. Reduces the heat, and frankly, uh, cinematographers don't need, don't use in most, right. for the most part in-body camera stabilization. If they do, they drop down to the five. Mm -hmm. And uh, the photographers wanted better stabilization. They wanted more resolution. Um, they wanted um, all these ex you know, external features on the camera that they could very quickly see, like an LCD that gives them the status of the camera. So what you see us doing right now is really engaging in this uh, almost diversification. So we've gone from hybrid now to kind of almost that traditional role again, but we will always have a hybrid line. Well, in a sense, it's not much different from what Sony is doing with their A7s. They have their still camera, they got their video, low light stuff, and it kind of makes more sense because it is... Better to do that, I think, rather than try to come out with a camera that's going to make everybody happy but mm. never be 100% satisfactory in either way. Here, your video guy, this is your camera. You're still a person, this is your camera. Yeah. And you'll end up happier with the product that you have because yep. you're not compromising. Correct. That's exactly it. That's how it works. Yeah. And and, and so the, the the three cameras that we have, you know, the, the 5, the 5S, and the 9, we're, we're really proud of those cameras. Um, and I... I, I I think that's kind of the direction you'll see us go now is to mm -hmm. take that. What can we do with a 9 and a 5S? A 5S, frankly, it's 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 pretty much all there in terms mm -hmm. of there's very few things that people ask for. Uh, yes, there will be firmware updates. Yes, there are 
hardware uh, limitations at things that we just won't be able to do unless we you know change out the hardware. Uh, and and when when it comes to that, it's time to build a new camera. But the, the nine is the one that we think we have finally hit on a formula for this new generation of photographers, the ones you mentioned earlier, um, that they really love us for it. Uh, and we just want to continually build out that market because they're the photographers of tomorrow and they're the generation that we seek out and that we've really embraced and, and are tr- truly growing with us. What we learn from these guys and girls, mm-hmm. uh, that, that's what we're going to build. Uh, and we're not going to look back. We're only going to look forward. Mm-hmm. It's kind of interesting in the, the marketing cycles of things, and, and you guys both hinted at this, where at a certain point you want to separate and make a camera for this person and a camera for this person. And then you want to cycle back to make that hybrid that's good for everybody. And then you maybe want to go back again. And this is the kind of balance you have to have. I think technology is going to determine it because you might have some advances that you can't have in a camera that does everything. So it's going to, it is going to be a little bit of an ebb and flow. And I think it's important to mention, I think for all the micro four thirds is that today there's a great selection of lenses specifically designed for micro four thirds. Obviously, one of the beauties of mirrorless is that you can adapt just about anything made onto these. However, there are some very specific lenses made by your company that are really nice to use. We do a lot of our own testing, uh, uh, sorry for the podcast, we review equipment, and uh, had a number of Panasonic lenses, and they're nice lenses. They're good. They're built well, and they're sharp. Yeah, yeah, we're we're really proud of those, And, and that's, you know, a whole whole nother world of development that we're constantly trying to do is balance the photo yeah. and the video side of it. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah, I'm good. Oh, Anything good. else? <laughs> Anything you want to throw in there? No, no that's okay. it. Uh, uh, you know, just uh, keep keep uh, the cards and letters coming. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Okay, Darren Pebley, thank you so much for joining us from Panasonic uh, and Lumix cameras. Thank you. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. Okay, so next week, we're going to be attending the Podcast Movement Conference in Philadelphia, a wonderful gathering of podcast producers and personalities, and we're going to be presenting an encore episode, but we will also be kicking off our B&H Photography Podcast, Fujifilm X-H1 Sweepstakes. Somebody out there is going to be winning a Fujifilm X-H1 camera with a Fujinon XF 35mm F2 RWR lens. And another lucky listener is going to be the proud owner of a Fujifilm X-E3 camera with a Fujinon XF 23mm F2 RWR lens. So be sure to tune in next week. We're going to be announcing the entry rules to officially enter our latest camera and lens sweepstakes. Until then, for Jason, John, and myself, thank you so much for joining us today.